This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I've been through a number of periods in my life where the outcome was uncertain. And the one thing that I was certain of was that God would see me through it. And not in some kind of a, a platitude or a civil line, silver lining that, oh, well, I just know everything's going to be okay, but really a deep and abiding trust that whatever the outcome would be, God was going to be in it. And if God was in it and I was in it, whatever the outcome would be, I would be okay. So I felt and feel that so often we we come up against circumstances that are frightening and we can only perceive of the outcome that makes the most sense to us. And we do our very best to, to grab a hold of that outcome with both hands and pray toward that desired outcome with no view for anything else that God may be doing or maybe wanting to take us to. And when the outcome does not go the way that we intend, we see one of two things happening. A disillusionment against against God. I thought that God was good. I thought that God said that all things were going to work out, and it didn't turn out the way that I wanted, and now my faith is crushed or shattered. Or some kind of, of self-deprecation of, I must not be good enough because God didn't do the thing that I wanted him to do. In both of these scenarios, the, the true perception is, is one of desired control of the outcome. But there is another way and it's one that was written about in a little book uh, that the first time I read it, I absolutely hated it, not because it was bad content, but because it, it didn't say what I wanted it to. Uh, the book is Abandonment to Divine Providence uh, by, the, by Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade. Now, it's a difficult book to read um, for a number of reasons. Some of them are stylistic because it's an older book, uh, stylistic because it's also a translation of an older book. Uh, and and an, uh, there's a few other things that we'll get into here in a moment. but. I have in my hands uh, a treatment of that book by Father Jeff Kirby. Uh, it's called Be Not Troubled, a six-day personal retreat with Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade. It's uh, available on Ave Maria Press. And we're going to talk about both the original book and this retreat-style treatment of it today with Father Jeffrey Kirby. He's a papal missionary of mercy, the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina, and an adjunct professor of theology at Belmont Abbey College. He's a senior contributor to Crux News Site. He's the host of the daily devotional Morning Offering with Father Kirby and the host of the podcast Truth Be Told. Father Kirby, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, T.L. It's good to be on, on the show with you. So before we get into this specific treatment of this book, I'm interested to hear about your first encounter with the book because uh, it's 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 a book that demands a person to have an opinion about it. It's not, it's not a, oh, well, I guess it was okay. You either love this book or you hate this book and sometimes both. So share yeah. with us your, your first encounter. Yeah. So I was uh, an underclassman at Franciscan university in Steubenville and an uh, upperclassman had said, oh, you, you really have to read this book. It's a, it's a spiritual masterpiece and so on and so, so on, you know, and, and was just, just raving about this thing. So I thought, okay, great. I, I should probably read this book. And uh, I picked it up and, and started reading and was immediately turned off by it. Um, the, the style was was off. The, the I found the author redundant. There were times that I was uncertain what he was exactly was talking about. And, uh, and just kind of just 
put the book aside and said, okay, whatever, you know. And it wasn't until a few years later when I was an upperclassman, and uh, I'd like to think I had a little more wisdom and experience under my belt, uh, that I tried to go back to this masterpiece, uh, Abandonment to Divine Providence, which has also been published under the new title, uh, The Sacrament of the Present Moment. And um, that I read it a second time, and suddenly began to realize, wow, okay, you know, you know Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade has really kind of stepped up the game now, <laughs> right? And, uh, and, and started to begin to understand. But really, it's one of those, I mean, this is why it's a spiritual masterpiece, because even after the second reading, while it appealed more to me, and again, I really do think it was because of life experiences, disappointments, heartaches, that it began to appeal to me. But honestly, I can say that this is a book that in my own discipleship, discipleship I have carried through life and oftentimes we'll go back to and think, oh, my goodness, was that in there the, the last time I read this book? You know, so I really think that one of the things that makes a masterpiece a masterpiece is that it does hold that immutable truth that we grow into as we deepen in our own relationship with the Lord. So so I'm still reading De Cassad, and even after uh, publishing this book, you know, uh, in subsequent readings of the masterpiece, I thought, oh, man, I could have said this, or, oh, I didn't realize that, or this would have been a really good perspective, and so on. So I think I'm still reading Abandonment to Divine Providence and deepening my understanding. But that first read, I was like, oh, get this thing away from me. When we're in the midst of difficulty— under the illusion that we have control. We don't like being told that really that control is an illusion. And not only do we not have that control, but we need to uh, to submit ourselves and to, uh, as the title says, to abandon ourselves to God. Um, however, and you bring this up, I, I think, fairly well, that abandonment is not merely a throwing up of the hands and saying, well, I guess there's nothing to be done. So as we're beginning this conversation Help us to understand what it means to to start this process of of abandoning ourselves to divine providence. Yeah, yes. yeah. And, and Till, maybe if I can start with the historical context of the author, this does is, that might actually help us to to even get an even more practical context. Is that you know Father De Cassad, his whole life he, he just wanted to be a missionary, you know. So you know he was imbued in the early spirit of the you know the early jesuits and very much wanted to go and wanted to preach the gospel and and, and had you know this this uh, idea of even dying for the faith and and being graced with martyrdom and and so on but he was a really good administrator and he really knew how to organize things and so on and so his entire life mm-hmm. <laughs> he was constantly assigned to administration which he absolutely hated and yet, he understood these were the talents God had given to him. These were the assignments given to him by his superiors. And so this is a man who lived what he wrote because his assignments, his priestly duties, his service to the church was the opposite of everything that he had ever wanted to do or thought that he was called to do. And yet, in what he was assigned and given, he sought constantly to find the presence of God. So I just say that because he is writing from his lived experience, his own struggles, his own desire to find the providence of God, the presence of God in the disappointment, the heartache, the frustration, the the, the battle between grace and pride. Uh, he himself lived this. So to your question in terms of initially approaching the question of divine providence when there's times of, of disappointment or or anxiety or or whatever it might be, like, how, how do we understand this, you know? And 
I like to just start with the whole notion of divine providence, which first just to define the term, um, you know, providence is God's fatherly care for us. And, and let me just say on the aside TL, the fact that we have to define basic Christian terms is where we are, right? Mm-hmm. So this should be a term that is readily known by Christians, God's providence, but that, that's not the case. So providence, God's fatherly care for, care for us, which means we can trust him, we can rely upon him, we can surrender ourselves to him. We know that what he has in store for us is far more uh, good, far more great than anything we could have ever thought for ourselves or, or for our loved ones. So with understand, the understanding of God's providence, and, and then there's, there's two distinctions we make in theology between God's active will in terms of his providence, so things that he willfully desires, he wants this done, such as our salvation, yeah. and things that he permits. So we speak of his permissive will. And this is what happens in, in the case of evil, that God permits an evil to be done. He doesn't actively will it. He permits it so that a greater good can be brought from it. So just in a broad perspective, when there's disappointment, when there's heartache, when there's a fault or evil that's done, when we are the subject of some fallenness of the world or the moral evil of our neighbor or of ourselves, that God permits this. It's still God's providence. There's, there's no accident. It's not like God said, whoo, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or as if God could say, yeah, there's nothing I can do with that. Uh, God permits this uh, evil or, or heartache so that a greater good can be can be brought from it. You bring up the problem of evil, which of course is a philosophical discussion that's that's gone on for centuries and centuries. Um, in the book, you mentioned that there are two different kind of responses that we can take and that we often see taken to the problem of evil. One is is a move towards atheism, that if this evil exists and God is supposed to be all good, then, then there's a contradiction there. So it has to be one or the other. Therefore, God doesn't exist because I can clearly see and experience this evil exists. And the other you label as, um, as quietism. That's right. I want you to explain that term because that's not one that necessarily is as popular or that we hear as often as as atheism. So what do you mean by quietism? Yeah, so this is actually a, a formal heresy that's uh, been denounced by the church in, in you know, through her magisterium. Uh, the easiest way to understand quietism is it is a Western form of Buddhism. Hmm. So the idea that you know bad things are going to happen, there's nothing we can do about it, we can't even try. Our virtue makes no uh, difference. Um, there is no reason to even attempt to, you know, work against the evil in our day. Um, and so you can imagine just this image of a, you know, a, a Buddhist monk at, at prayer who is very much uh, seeking, uh, you know, communion with himself. Who's very much removed from any attempt to cooperate with divine grace or to see the providence of God or to attempt to be instruments of peace, an instrument of peace or, or, or goodwill to others. Um, no, it's just, that's it. So, so quietism was a, a widespread uh, and very popular view, especially during the time of Father de Kassad, which is why he, he's addressing mm-hmm. really uh, in some places explicitly and throughout the work implicitly uh, he's addressing quietism through abandonment to divine providence, and 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 TL just to 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 let you know the, the listeners know too in terms of 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 where this work came from, uh, maybe just to to give this backstory uh, you know um, real, real quickly here is 
so Father de Casado, of course, was was an administrator, was being assigned to to administrative and 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 logistical duties and and, and various other things. But in the midst of that, on one occasion, he was able to be assigned as a chaplain to some visitation nuns in Nancy, France. And he went there and, of course, would celebrate the sacraments and then give them retreats and so on. And actually, in response to quietism, he does this series of, of reflections to, for the sisters in order to show why quietism is wrong and to really dive into the depth of our Christian teaching, our Christian patrimony. And he gives this this retreat. And the sisters are so impressed with this that they begin to take notes. And that eventually becomes this masterpiece, The Abandonment to Divine Providence. So first we have to remind ourselves, this is a retreat which is why at times it can seem repetitive because when you're doing a retreat at the, you know, be at the end of the first conference, you do the second conference at the beginning of the second conference, you summarize the first conference and so on. You know, some people have been on retreat. No, you know, oftentimes a good spiritual master will, will do this to kind of remind the retreatants. This is what I said before. This is where we're moving now and so on. So this is a retreat. It's the notes of the nuns who are on retreat. And then get this. Those notes stayed in the archives of the Visitation Sisters of Nancy for a hundred years before they were retrieved and eventually codified into uh, the book that we now have and, and is titled as Abandonment to Divine Providence or in more contemporary times, uh, The Sacrament of the Present Moment. So this work has had a very interesting history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is why when we read it stylistically, sometimes it it, it you know, it may not appeal. There's redundancy. There's there's this uh, kind of older language. Um, sometimes it it you have to kind of fill in the the spaces in terms of of what Father De Casada is trying to say, or or reference other parts of the book to understand what another part of the context is for the, another part of the book, and so on. Um, so just to to kind of have the context of the work itself and and what Father De Casada uh, was doing, and and why he was giving this retreat was actually the response to quietism because, you know, it was a, it was a hard time in, in Christendom. Um, you know, there had been massive religious wars. Uh, many people had just really just kind of abandoned religion. They thought, you know what, Huguenot, Catholic, I mean, can you please just stop killing my family, right? And, uh, and so quietism became a kind of just uh, reaction to the um, religious wars that, that you saw tear France apart. And, and again, became very widespread. And you can imagine that the Christian who's baptized, who is called to have communion with a personal God, the living and true God, who's called to follow the way of the Lord Jesus, who's called to be you know, a missionary disciple, who's called to be an instrument of peace, suddenly says, nah, forget it all. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and think about myself in this type of Buddhistic prayer. And that, that's quietism. As you talk about quietism, I think of of uh, a nihilistic view of life, and it also kind of it strikes me that we might recognize the 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 description of quietism, the beginning of quietism, in the book of Ecclesiastes, where vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And of course, by the end of that book, the author gets to a place that is most definitely not quietism, but the the process that he's going through to get to that place, there is the sense of, does anything actually matter? Am I, if I'm either supposed to care very much and be mad that it's not going the way that I want it to, or what's the point of caring at all? 
and you give us a vision, or, or rather um, interpret for us the vision of Father Kassad of a middle way, of a way to be actively engaged and yet not in a place of trying to control the outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then and, and, and what I try to do with the uh, masterpiece in light of the history of the work itself was to put the masterpiece back in its original context of a retreat. Mm-hmm. And so to take the different pearls of wisdom given to us by Father de Cassad, and then again, to order them in a type of retreat that I was hoping would reflect the original context of his teachings. And, um, but Father de Cassad, he, he very much uh, saw this, this middle path, which, which is the path of, 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 you know, Christian asceticism, that we are contemplatives in action that we are called to have that contemplation with God, to hold to, to the union with God, but also to actively work for the spreading of his kingdom, to seek to announce his good news to all people, to be instruments of peace, to do works of mercy in the midst of a fallen world, that we are to do both. And and and, and really that, that beautiful complementarity of the love of God and love of neighbor, you know, when, when we seek to do that, we see how these work together, that I, I love God, he, he rejuvenates me, he refreshes me, he purifies me, and he gives me his grace. And then I go and I serve him in the midst of the world, and I, I see the distressing disguise of, of his presence in the midst of the poor, the sick, the suffering. I see the last, the lowest, and the least. I, I seek to pour myself out as, uh, as a libation in service uh, to others in need, and then I come back in order to be healed and restored and to have union with God, in order to then go back out and to announce his good news and to suffer for the sake of righteousness and to be the peacemaker and then come back and so on. And when we live in the Christian way of life, we, we, we see how these two, you know, naturally just kind of have a harmony to them. And, and to say, well, I'm not going to do, you know, uh, all the work of the Lord because I just want the Lord. Well, it's missing, first of all, the command of the Lord that he has given to us and is forgetting part of the reason why he is giving us his grace and his strength so that we can then, of course, go out and be instruments of that grace and that strength to others. So, so again, it, it's very peculiar, but in, in terms of quietism or, or activism or, or atheism, um, but Father de Cassad saw no you know, no contrast. Like he, 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 you can imagine he probably would scratch his head as most Christians today who are living their discipleship would scratch their head in the sense of how, how can you miss a whole part of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus? I mean, can you imagine the Lord Jesus just sitting up in Galilee? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in his little meditation and just saying, yeah, I'm just, you know, he, you know, the disciples come up to the mountain. He's like, hey, get away from me. I'm in prayer, you know, rather than giving the Beatitudes, you know, or, or the Sermon on the mountain. And the Lord just Himself saying, "Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to be here in meditation. I don't, you know, there's no word, there's no, you know, there's no good in even trying to do anything. There's, there's, you know, it, it, it's just, a, it's done for. You know, uh, that's ridiculous. You know, like no, the Lord was in constant communion with the Father and constantly doing the works of the kingdom of God. And as His followers and as the children of God, we're called to do the same. And Father De Cassad definitely is foot stomping this throughout his masterpiece. It's important for us, I think." as we begin to have this this pursuit of abandonment to the to the present moment to god's presence with us in that present moment uh i think to have a clear understanding of what that relationship with god is we see it in the move towards um 
deconstruction and towards people leaving the faith, that they had a picture built of of who God was supposed to be uh, through their own interpretation of Scripture, through the catechesis they received from those who were close to them. And when their experience of God did not match the picture that they were given of God, they reached a crisis moment. And in the end, their perception won out over Overlooking and saying, "Well, maybe my understanding of God was incorrect," um, and, and I'm not faulting them for that at all, because there is this this moment of recognizing where you are in a reality, and if you've been given a bad picture of it to begin with, you do whatever you can to come to a place where you can make sense of the reality you're faced with. So, for those who are uh, maybe nearing that moment, who whose experience of the faith is beginning to be shaken, what would you share with them about who God actually is to give them a picture of that reality of God's desire for relationship with us that maybe breaks out of the the common linguistic uh, treatment that we normally give it so that there's a, a new perspective of looking at it, maybe a new, a new angle that can be appropriated. How would you describe God's providence and God's presence and and God's role in our lives in such a way that might help them reevaluate? Yeah, it says that's, that's great. Um, so I think that let's begin with just perhaps uh, some of the most basic things that we are taught about God, that he is all powerful and that he is all good. Mm-hmm. And again, however people have formulated or processed or integrated these you know, explanations in their own life, uh, depends on levels of formation, their conscience, and, and their experience of, of, of goodness and evil and so on. Okay. But let, let's just start there. God is all good. He's all powerful, which are true statements. Then someone says, well, then why is my mom dying of cancer? Yeah. You know, why, why, why did my younger sister get hit by a car, right? Uh, and list goes on in terms of tragedies and heartbreaks. Now, why do these things happen? If God's all good. He's all powerful. Uh, why didn't he step in? Like, why doesn't his goodness triumph? Where is his power? Why doesn't he step in? And and, and the first answer I want to give to that is he will. Mm-hmm. He will. You know, like people are saying, well, he just he just needs to step in. He just needs to take control of this, and he needs to to stop this evil. He needs to let good triumph. He will. You see, what 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 happens is that we forget, and, and Father De Cassad, uh references this, is we forget that time and space are also creatures. Mm-hmm. And we think, because we live in them, it's hard to think of them in, in these concepts, but but they are also creatures. You know, so, you know, there will be a time in which time and space concludes. There will be the conclusion of time, conclusion of space. There will be the second coming in which God will claim triumph over evil. God will allow evil to end. And as the book of Revelation tells us, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. The, the gift he has given to us is time and space. And, and St. Peter tells us in the New Testament that he has delayed his coming so that more children might be welcomed into his family. So he has delayed so that more might be saved. And so what we can look at as, you know, a type of uh, a, a, you know, example of, well, God can't be all powerful, it can't be all good, is actually using his power and his goodness against him because he's allowing this and there's going to be this brokenness as time uh, you know plays itself out because we're in a fallen world but this will come to an end so first i just want to start with that because sometimes you know that basic truth 
as I hear other people try to answer these questions, like that's not stated where it's like, wait a minute, um, God is, is triumphant and he will claim that triumph. He will claim that victory uh, in the fullness of time when, when time and space as we know it concludes. Now in the interim, we can say, well, why doesn't he just step in now? Like, why does he have to wait? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, why, you know, and well, that goes back to the brokenness of humanity, the fallenness of humanity that, you know, when the Lord Jesus redeemed us, he chose to allow the effects of the fall to continue. And he allowed that so that those of us who choose to follow him can be seasoned and disciplined by the fallenness of this world in order to understand what love is, in order to be made, as the Lord tells us, to be made fit for the kingdom of God. Because if the getting is good and everything is easy, well, then suddenly everybody wants to follow God, right? Suddenly everyone just wants to, but are they really following God? Or are they following the goodness and the consolations of God? Are they following the things that he can do for them, right? So it's precisely the difficult and the fallenness of this world that by which we have to carry our cross, and we are disciplined in order to understand what love is, and then we are taught a true love for God and a true love for our neighbor. Now, now let me just, with, with this, run run for a minute with, with time and space, because I, I don't want to get too abstract, um, but I want to try to be as fair as possible to Father de Kassad. Uh Father de Kassad talks about... Um, the creatureness of time and space. And, and we've all experienced this. Let, let me give an example. Say, for example, if we were to go to Gettysburg, right? So where the Battle of Gettysburg happened, right? We, we go there and, and we feel something in that space, right? We, we know what happened there. We, 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 we see the loss of life. We see the battle between, you know, what was right and, and what was wrong. And, and so we feel it in that space, what is the only thing that separates us from those who fought at Gettysburg? Time. Mm-hmm. And in a different way, if I'm away from the people I love and I look up at the stars and I know that these stars are the same stars that the people I love are looking at, right? So we have the same time, but what are we missing? Space, right? And, and, and if you can imagine time and space as these created overlays and that there will be the fullness when that time and space, those creatures are, are no longer. And, and, and again, for, for us who live in time and space, it's very difficult. It gives a headache trying to figure this out, right? But if you use these examples and think there will be a time when there will be no distinction of time and space where we will all be one in one, all be united in the Lord, right? And and so when we suffer, we see the brokenness, we have to realize like these are temporary sufferings given to us in order to respond to the call to the cross, in order to cooperate with grace, in order to work out our salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and we can do that because we know who's one. Yeah. And we know that the brokenness and the fallenness of the world, they don't have the last word. This is not the last chapter of our lives to the lives of our loved ones. And that is precisely in the difficulty, in the struggle, the brokenness, the sorrow, that we are especially called to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. Lord, I cling to your cross and I ask you to give me your grace to help me. We're talking today with Father Jeffrey Kirby. He is the author of Be Not Troubled, a six-day personal retreat with Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade, available on Ave Maria Press. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On threads, the handle is step outside the walls as well. Don't go anywhere. There's so much more to come right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with 
ATL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Father Jeffrey Kirby. He's the author of the book, Be Not Troubled, a six-day personal retreat with Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade. It's available on uh, Ave Maria Press. You can find out more about Father Kirby and the other books he's authored by going to fatherkirby.com. Father Kirby, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Thanks, T.L. I remember going through a particularly difficult time in my life. And in the midst of that, uh, I had maybe a revelation. That revelation was um, if, well, first of all, if I expect something, an outcome, different than the outcome that many of the saints received, then I'm, I'm not being honest with myself about what it means for God to be good or what it means for God to love me, right? If I look at the saints and see the saints who are martyred or the saints who endured um, uh, devastation or the financial ruin, and and I look at them and say, but but God won't let me face difficult things. Uh, then my my perceptive of what it, perception of what it means to be a disciple and and pursuing sainthood, uh, a personal sanctity, my, my perception is off in some way. Yes. And so I have to look at this and say, in light of God's relationships with the saints, what does it mean for God to be good to me? What does it mean for me to live in God's goodness? And and I have to tell you, it moved a little bit toward quietism, but, but not in a sense of, therefore, there's no point. It was a sense of, um, I have to come to the grips that that being favored of God does not mean absence of difficulty. Amen. 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 And in the midst of that, uh, it was a very, very slow process. In the midst of that, I came to see that God's tenderness was closer to what I had thought it was before, um, but, but it was an earned belief and a formulated belief and a belief based on the evidence of God's care for me and not just a platitude based on uh, my privilege so far in this life, right? Yes, yes. Uh, so in that, I think I can recognize some of what you talked about under the term cooperation with grace, but I can't articulate it any better than than to share my experience. So perhaps you can help unpack what does it mean for us in this moment as we we start to realize, hey, life is not what I expected it to be, trying to avoid those two extremes of atheism or quietism, how do we take steps to cooperate with grace? Yes, yes. So so first of all, I think you summarized uh, just from personal experience the, the, the concept of cooperation with grace uh, perfectly, uh, uh, you know, in a very uh, approachable, understandable way. Uh, I, I will say this is if we can even almost go higher uh, you know, obviously, there's different situations in terms of contemporary state of affairs that, that helps us help us to understand. But we can go higher and go right to the to the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament that that tell us in reference to the Lord Jesus, son though he was, he learned obedience through suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, and so as we look at our older brothers and sisters, the saints, who we can say, well, you know, if God's allowing them 
to, to suffer? Like, why, why would I think that I, I can somehow, you know, be preserved from this? And, and, you know, to the infinite degree, if we can look at our Lord and say, you know, if the eternal son of God, you know, was permitted to suffer and, and learned obedience through suffering and brought about our salvation through suffering, like as his follower, why would I think that, that I, you know, should somehow be be, be spared uh, uh, from this suffering, you know, uh, but but without understanding it, in terms of the cooperation with grace, uh, first maybe I'll just de- define grace because uh, here's what I have found in theology and in popular catechesis, uh, Tio, is that grace has been psychologized yeah. in a lot of places, and, and I think it has stripped the supernatural reality of grace. So grace is now, well, it makes you feel good or you feel better or or you're more inspired or you have a sense of relief, right? So uh, just to give an example, years ago, I remember someone saying, um, you know, I went to confession and nothing happened. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. If you made a valid confession, a lot happened, okay? <laughs> but, and they were sincere that because they didn't feel something, they thought nothing had happened, you know? So I, I just think that we, you know, have to kind of put things in perspective in, in order to have, you know, the, the proper understanding. Because, you know, the psychologizing of grace, again, it removes a whole supernatural component. So, so what is grace? Well, grace is unmerited divine favor. So God is favoring us. We don't, we don't merit this, right? Well, what else is grace? Well, grace is the life and the power of God within us. Wow, right? Mm-hmm. But what, what, what else is grace? You know, grace are the attributes of God being reflected to one of his children. Wow. But what else is grace? Grace is the restoration of our original integrity, our original inheritance before the fall, and surpassing that inheritance by the glory of God. Wow. And see how we can keep going. I mean, the reason why we have so many definitions of grace is because when we're talking about grace— we're talking about the life of God. Right. And as God is ultimate mystery and infinitely superior to anything we can say about him, so the same could be said about grace. Which, to say comically, when I was in the seminary, I had one of the foremost scholars on grace as my professor. So you can imagine that exam. And <laughs> I studied in Rome, and the exams are one 10-minute exam at the end of the semester. I remember sitting with him. He asked me this very complicated question about what this father said, this fa- this father said that, this doctor said this, and so on. And I could barely understand the question, let alone give a sufficient answer. And I finally just looked at him. I said, you know, Father, it's a mystery. <laughs> and he looked right at me. He says, uh, your grade's going to be a mystery if you don't answer my question. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so grace is a mystery. But, but let's talk about the cooperation with grace. And, 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 and I'll say this real quick, that the reason why we have these different definitions is because it allows us to see a different aspect and element, a different perspective of what it means to have the presence and the power of God dwell within us. Mm-hmm. So we need these different definitions. No one definition is sufficient. And even the multiple definitions are still insufficient, but they give us a different perspective, different uh, understandings. So cooperation with grace is when we realize what God has placed within us, the sanctifying grace, the deifying grace that makes us the sons and daughters of God, that make us members of his family, that allow us to do his work, to reflect his image and his likeness in the midst of our world. And when we cooperate with that grace, you can imagine there's this this battle 
between pride and grace within our hearts. I will do it. I will do what I want. I have to figure it out. I know what to do. I know what's best. It is this pride that is constantly at war against the presence of God, which is saying, trust my providence, trust my presence, trust my, you know, uh, my power. And, and this battle, you know, in terms of that cooperation of grace is when we say to our pride, enough, enough, like, I denounce you, I, I will discipline you, I, I, I seek you to be removed from my soul, and we surrender to grace, and we begin to cooperate, we let grace work, and, and, and you know, when, when grace works, um, I think what's great is one of the titles of the Holy Spirit is, is uncreated grace, mm-hmm. because once we start to cooperate with grace, well, the Holy Spirit begins to work, and, and what is the goal of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the kingdom of God. So suddenly, I want to forgive people. I don't, I, 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 no way, not that person. I, I I want vengeance upon them. We die to that. And suddenly, it's like, yeah, I, no, I really do want to give them mercy. Or suddenly, my heart is turned to the poor. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be, oh, I, oh, the poor, they're so disgusting. Oh, they make me uncomfortable. And suddenly, it's like, I want to be with them. You know, and so grace begins to work. And the more we cooperate, then the more grace is able to work, the more Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings forth the kingdom of God in our hearts and in to others through us. And so, you know, as, as we pray on, on the Feast of Christ the King, it says, you know, uh, the Lord's kingdom is a kingdom of, of truth and goodness, a kingdom of beauty and power, you know, a kingdom of, of mercy and reconciliation. Like, this is what the grace of God wants to do in us and then through us. And that cooperation with grace is when we allow pride to be humbled and, and removed, and we allow the grace of God to truly work in us. I think back to the uh, the story of the Exodus, where the children of Israel were following the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And a, a few things with that. Um, the first is that on their way to the promised land, they, you know, one, one day they wake up and they'd be, suddenly the cloud would go a different direction. Like the, it, it was not a straight line. And there was maybe some confusion as to why that was. I was speaking with a, a priest about this a few years ago on on air. And he mentioned that on the way to the promised land, they didn't encounter any any challenges. They, there were no battles on the way there. They, they followed the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. They made their way to the promised land. And it wasn't until they decided that they weren't going to go where God's providence had led them, that all of a sudden, there was a reason that they were turning left and right all these times before, because there were, those were the, uh, the difficulties and the conflicts that they could not otherwise see, that they were being before that prevented from having to encounter. That yes, it was still the desert. Yes, it was still hard. Yes, there was still so much difficulty, but there was so much greater difficulty that they were being spared from. And I think so so many times we experience the same thing as we get up every day and instead of saying, okay, God, here's where we're going. I want, I'm going to pray about this. I've got this plan. Put your stamp of approval on my plan and we'll get going. If instead we wake up and say, where is the fire and the cloud leading today? Yes. Amen. Amen. And, and, and I'll tell you, Teal, uh, you know, I've oftentimes used the example uh, very similar to, to the points you're making is, you know, look at the, in similar uh, spirit, uh, the apostles. Uh, for three years, they followed the Lord. I mean, he, he took them everywhere, like all over Galilee, took them up to Caesarea Philippi, took them to, you know, uh, um, Syrophoenicia and, and, and places that, you know, Jewish people at that time would traditionally not have visited. He goes to Samaria and so on, you know, and, and you can imagine they followed him and, and every morning they, you know, waking up and, and, and saying, you know, like, 
you know, what is the master going to do today? Like, where's he going to take us today? I mean, the places he took, the miracles they saw, the healings that they witnessed, the signs and wonders, the the, the powerful preaching and so on. You know, and, and, and the more they were with him, the more he, he was able to mold, form, and shape them in his way of life. And, and so in the same way, whether it's, you know, the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and whether it's, you know, following the way of the Lord Jesus, I mean, ultimately, these biblical accounts are given to us in order to teach us and, and show us by the example of our forebears what it means to be called to follow God and what it means to actually trust him. And the consequences of when he calls us to follow him, we say, uh, no, nah, I, I got this. <laughs> you know, I got this. I, I know what to do, you know. Um if I can say this to uh, TL, just as we talk about this, um, Father De Kassad makes a really powerful point that that I try to really highlight uh, throughout uh, uh, throughout throughout my book is is he talks about how we can camp out in the past or we can dwell in the future, mm-hmm. and he just makes the point that God is the great I am. He's not the I was or the I will be that he is the I am. And he says the reason why the past fills us with anger or the future fills us with fear is because God's providence, God's grace isn't there. Mm-hmm. That God's grace is given to us in the present moment. And he says in particular, those who dwell in the future and they fill themselves with so much anxiety, fear, and so on. He says the reason why that happens is because that's that hasn't happened yet. These are mental, you know, imaginings of our minds of what might be or could be or what we think should be and so on, you know. And and we get filled with fear because, well, that hasn't happened yet. It might not even happen in reality. And if it should happen, when it happens, we will have the grace at that time to handle that, right? But if we're in the present moment and we're looking into the future, of course we're gonna be filled with fear because Grace isn't there yet. Like we have, we haven't received grace. God, it, our experience of God is is not there, right? And and I just I remember being very moved by that particular point where it's like, yeah, you know, we all we all can sometimes, especially in the West, we just live in the future, like oh, I'm going to do this and maybe this and oh, I need this to happen and so, on. and we we get so worked up and we get so anxious and we get so fearful and, and angry almost, right? And then we realize, well, the reason why this is all happening is because. Grace isn't there yet, mm-hmm. you know. And when people are fearful, like in particular, like when I'm ministering to those who are dying, actively dying, and they're just like they're so worried, you know. And I'm like, wait a minute, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like you know that hasn't come yet, right? And you're fearful of death right now because the hour of death hasn't come yet. When the hour of death comes, the grace of God will be sufficient. And so what we have to do is live in this moment right now. What does God want you to do now? And let's live here. And let the the sacrament of the present moment be the opportunity of grace. And if we cooperate with those present moments, then when the hardship does authentically come, then we will be ready to cooperate the graces given then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I just want to emphasize that because I remember being very consoled and encouraged by that simple truth. Yeah, and, and it's this idea that um, if I if I worry hard enough, I can pre-plan all of the potential outcomes that might happen, so that I can pray in just the right way, so that I can make God do what I think is going to be best. And it's really a manipulation, rather than saying, "God, I, I trust that you are here with me now." And that was the great gift that God gave the children of Israel: is that He was leading them. He was present with them in that moment. And throughout scripture says that his name is, um, I, I, the Lord am in, 
in in your midst, right? You will be my people and I will be your God. And that presence is the present of the present, as it were. And so that all of the mental energy that goes into figuring out the 50 million possible outcomes is unnecessary because God is with us in this moment and promises to be with us in the moments to come. We're talking today with Father Jeffrey Kirby. The book is Be Not Troubled, a six-day personal retreat with Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade. It's available on Ave Maria Press. Father Kirby, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure, T.L. God bless you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Kirby or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And while you're there, if you're looking for a little more, I've got good news because there is always more. Each and every week, we record an extra segment with our guest that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air by providing for some of the essential things that we need in order to keep the show running. And in gratitude, we like to give them a couple extra questions with the guest and a deeper dive into the topic. You can learn more, go back and listen to some of those older extra segments that are now available to the public by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking that Patreon link to learn more and to consider joining their numbers. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and Church History. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of Church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, original language research, so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading today from scripture comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That reading comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians chapter 4. And everything that Father Kirby has summarized in his book, Be Not Troubled, from Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade. And everything that Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade uh, spoke all those years ago in those retreats and spiritual retreats to the nuns, which were collected in that book, Abandonment to Divine Providence, all of those things spring from the heart of this verse. The Lord is at hand. And really, this is the fullness of abandonment to divine providence. It is abandonment to that thing which can sustain and that thing which only can sustain. So here in Philippians, we we see this, and perhaps this is the first time I've noticed this today, um, but at least in the English Standard Version, 
uh, the punctuation is placed in a very particular way. Rejoice in the Lord always, a semicolon again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I've, I've always wondered how to read this next section. Where does this fit? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Well, here in the ESV, specifically the ESVCE, they have the Lord is at hand, semicolon, do not be anxious about anything. That semicolon kind of stands as a therefore. It's uh, to show a linkage between two very closely related complete sentences. And and here, this whole do not be anxious, I've often heard that that section quoted by itself, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer, praise, and supplication, right? Um, here, because of that semicolon, all that follows about not being anxious rests in that first clause, that first sentence, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is right here in this present moment. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, even though the word therefore isn't there, the semicolon is, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How often do we stress and let ourselves spin up into anxiety to try and somehow muscle things into the right place so that we can get the outcome that we want, rather than simply resting in the fact that that first sentence is present. The Lord is at hand. That if God is with us, who can be against us? We see in other places in Scripture. If God is with us, then what have we to fear? The psalmist says. And so if God is with us, all of these anxieties that we hang on to, they are a meaningless energy. The Lord is at hand. So present your requests to God. Allow yourself to meditate on and to dwell on those things that are good and true and honorable and just. And in those things, as we practice that, that virtue, the God of peace will be with us. Our reading from Church History Today comes from The Abandonment to Divine Providence by Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade. What great truths are hidden from the eyes even of Christians who think themselves very enlightened? How few among them understand that all crosses, all actions, all spiritual impulses that are in the divine plan give us God in a way that can best be explained by comparison with the most august mystery of all. Yet, what is more certain? Does not reason as well as faith reveal to us the real presence of the divine love in all things and in all the events of life as indubitably as the word of Jesus Christ and the Church reveal to us the presence of the sacred body and blood of our Savior under the Eucharistic elements of bread and wine? Do we not know that by all these people and all these events, the divine love desires to unite himself to us, that he has produced, ordained, or permitted everything that surrounds us or happens to us in view of this union? the sole end of all his designs. Do we not understand that to attain this end, he uses the worst as well as the best of creation, and the most disagreeable as well as the most pleasant events, and that the more naturally repellent the means of that union, 
the more meritorious it becomes. But if all this is true, why should not every moment of our lives be a sort of communion with divine love, continuously producing in us the fruits of that communion when we receive the body and blood of the Son of God? The latter truly has a sacramental efficacy lacking to the former, but, on the other hand, how much more frequently the former can be renewed and how greatly it can, can its merit grow through the perfection of the dispositions in which it is performed. How true it is that the holiest life is mysterious in its simplicity and seemingly humble state. Divine banquet, perpetual festival, God ever given and received under appearances of the greatest weakness and nothingness. God chooses what is blameworthy to the natural judgment and what human prudence leaves on one side. And of such things, God makes mysteries and sacraments of love and gives himself to us to the full extent of our faith through the very medium that might otherwise appear to do us harm. That reading comes from The Abandonment to Divine Providence by Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade. And how often we want to escape the unpleasant things of life, but in those unpleasant things from life, God is attempting to meet with us. In those unpleasant things and, and frustrations, even those that God did not himself cause, God is longing to meet with us. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. And so the task and the challenge becomes for us to attune our eyes to see where is God in this moment, in this current unpleasantness, in this current cross that I have to bear. Where is God? In which person does he reside? And in what is he trying to communicate to me? And in what moment is he trying to give his divine love to me, to commune with me? This is a great freedom to know that even in those moments of discomfort and pain, that the Lord is at hand. But this great freedom is not necessarily easily attained. Uh, this is where, as Jesus said to those who are surrounding him, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. This is where we see the, the fulfillment of, if anyone would save his life, he must lose it. Because there is something visceral inside of us that thinks that the way to survive is to avoid all of these unpleasant things. And God invites us into that unpleasantness and says, push through it because it's here that I want to meet with you. Abandon yourself, even though everything in your mind says, do not abandon. Release and relinquish, even though everything in yourself says, I have to maintain control. Trust and take that step of faith that as you begin to walk closer into those things that are a little bit unsettling, that God is there. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. And in that abandonment, he will meet you and show you that you are anything but abandoned. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. 
Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on threads. The handle is at step outside the walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.